morning, everyone. All right, let's get rolling here. Uh, welcome to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you're here this morning, whether it's your first time or it's been a while since you've been with us. Uh, I'm excited that you're here this morning. Welcome. If it has been a while since you've been here, or even if it hasn't, and you just want to come say hi, at the end of the service, I'm going to be in the back uh, under the blinking or not blinking currently exit sign. Come say hi. I'd love to hear a little bit uh, about your story and particularly how you ended up in Chatham County. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to live in Chatham County. I enjoy living in Chatham County. One of the benefits of living in Chatham County is being able to develop friendships with people who grow food and keep animals because uh, you're, if they're your friends, you will eventually end up enjoying some of the fruit of what they grow or what they, um, what, what they, what they nurture. So, you know, you'll get fruits, you'll get veggies, you'll get chickens, you'll get eggs, you'll get flowers. You get the picture. Uh, and sometimes you'll even get them secondhand. Uh, recently, some friends uh, were, were gifted some eggs by other friends, and they happened to have chickens, and so they had plenty of eggs. So they were like, Jaime, why don't you take these eggs? And I gladly took them. I love eggs. Uh, and I noticed that uh, among this dozen, this dozen eggs, this set of dozen eggs that I got, there were some pretty, pretty, pretty sizable eggs. They were so big that they didn't really fit in the egg carton, the egg container. So it was really hard to close the egg container. I had to be really careful bringing it in and out of the fridge to avoid them spilling over. And I decided to save one of the biggest ones for my Saturday special breakfast. And I look forward to my Saturday special breakfast every week, and I thought this week is going to be extra special with this extra big egg. So Saturday rolls around, and I get up, and I'm looking forward to it, and I put the bacon in the oven, and the house is smelling like deliciousness, and I go, and I get the bowl to make the scrambled eggs, to scramble the eggs, and I take one of the normal size eggs, and I crack it, I put it in the bowl, and then I grab this mini dinosaur-sized egg, right? And I am looking forward to this. And I crack it and black ooze pours out of this egg. And a putrid smell fills my nostrils. And I run to the sink and I pour out uh, the egg mix or whatever that was. And I turn on the water. I pour soap down the drain. I'm doing whatever I can to try to get rid of this smell that it's now embedded itself in my brain. And after a good while, I kind of get over that and I start from scratch again, two eggs uh, down. Man, that egg looked promising. And all week long, I was looking forward to it. I assumed it would be nutritious and delicious, but it was complete opposite. See, sometimes things may look impressive, but on the inside, they're rotten. We're in the home stretch of a series here at Chatham Community Church that we have titled Soar. And when we talk about SOAR here at Chatham Community Church, we're talking about flourishing, about thriving, about doing things that matter, making a difference, leaving a legacy. It's the kind of things we all want out of life at some point or another in some way or another. And we want those things because we were made to SOAR. You and I were created to live the kinds of lives that flourish, that thrive, that make a difference, that leave a legacy. We were created to do things that matter. And because soaring, because the concept of soaring, whether it's phrased in that way or not, is something we all long for, all of us, 
Whether we come to church, whether we believe in God or not, whether we follow one faith tradition or another, it's something we all long for. Because that's true, you will find throughout your life different pictures of what soaring might look like or soaring might be. You will be offered different opportunities to consider this is what soaring is. And sometimes it will look really appealing. What's being presented as soaring will look really appealing. It will look really impressive. But if you take a closer look, you may find that what's being presented is actually rotten inside. Today we're going to talk about what makes the difference between what looks like impressive soaring and what actually is impressive soaring. What actually is soaring. Because regardless of how impressive it may look or how impressive it doesn't look, there is something that will distinguish soaring from the appearance of soaring. The key, the key to true soaring is to connect with and trust the God who created us to thrive and flourish. If we were made to thrive, if we were made to flourish, then the key to true soaring, to true flourishing, to true thriving is to connect with and trust the one who made us for that. That's what will make the difference between what appears like soaring but is really rotten inside and what is truly soaring. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark? The book of Mark is the second book in the New Testament. So you get through Psalms, you get through all those books whose names uh, oftentimes we don't remember. You get past Matthew, and if you've gotten to Luke, John, or even Corinthians, you've gone a little bit too far. But right there in between Matthew and Luke is the book of Mark, and we're going to be reading in chapter 12 uh, towards the end. We'll start in verse 38. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, we're going to project it onto the screen. But if you do have a Bible, feel free to join me, and we'll start in verse 38. Here we go. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus invites us to take a closer look in this passage, right? He says, watch out. Another way of translating that phrase is, behold, pay attention to this. Then he sits and he people watches as people are bringing their offerings to the temple. Then he draws his disciples' attention to one particular person. He invites us to look. He invites us to look at a crowd giving. He invites us to look at rich people giving large amounts. He invites us to look and watch a poor widow. But he starts it all out by inviting us to watch the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law were a distinctive group within Jewish society, and they were easily identifiable because they wore a particular garment 
They were easy to pick out in a crowd. And they were people who were respected. They were deferred to. So as they wore this garment, you would know to approach them, to address them in a particular way. When people gathered in the synagogue, which was the place of learning and and a place of of community, there would be a a special place reserved for the teachers of the law. I don't know if it was front and center, but it was visible enough that everyone could see and you would know that person there is is a teacher of the law and everyone would see them because the synagogue was a primary community gathering place. Everyone who was anyone would be at the synagogue and everyone who was anyone would know who the teachers of the law were. When they would go to a banquet, where you sat in a banquet, where you were seated in a banquet, indicated the status you had, indicated how important you were to the person who hosted the banquet. So if you were sat in the place of honor, everyone knew that the host thought of you in a particular way. Everyone knew that you were someone important to sit And an important seat was a big deal. And these teachers of the law aspired to be seated in those important seats. Teachers of the law clearly wanted to be noticed. They wanted to have recognition. They wanted to be respected. They wanted to be revered. It's almost like they wanted people to desire, to see them enough to desire the life that they have. To hang on to their every word. To get that sort of status and recognition and this in that society would create an illusion of soaring because these people that everyone was looking at that everyone was paying attention to that everyone deferred to that everyone gave the important seats to these people clearly must have been thriving must have been flourishing must have been making a difference all eyes were on them coveting their life surely you're making a difference But is that what's happening? Is that what soaring is? No. That is way less than what soaring is. A modern day phenomenon is this job or role. I hesitate to call it vocation, though it might be becoming a vocation. It's known as an influencer. And another way to label it, people call it a social media influencer, right? And, and the aspiration is to build up a platform across one app or multiple apps and gather a following. You produce content over and over again and you want people to watch your content, to listen to your content, to like, share, and subscribe your content. You want to gather masses of people who will listen and pay attention to you. And in that, there is sponsorship. In that, there is product placement. In that, there is all sorts of recognition and prestige. Their livelihood, the livelihood of influencers, depends on how much attention they can get. On how much they can get people to say, look, or let me look at this person. Now, hear me out. Social media can and is used for good. Can and is used for good. And there are benefits in some platforms that are large. Many things can be communicated. People can be mobilized. Attention can be brought to issues. People learn a bunch of things because of platforms like this. Can a social media influencer make a positive difference? Absolutely. And that's well documented. And I praise God for that advancing technology that has allowed that. But the challenge, the temptation in this sort of job, role, or vocation, the challenge in this arena is that it's really easy 
to turn it all into being about you. It's really easy and tempting to making it all be about you. And it can become about accumulating more and more for yourself. More greater platform, more followers, more products, more sponsorships, more freebies, more and more and more and more. But see, making it all about oneself isn't limited to social media influencers. That can happen across the board in many vocations and even outside of vocations in almost any area of life. And if it's all about us, if it's all about what we can accumulate, what people think of us, the recognition we get, the status we have, it may look like soaring when we accumulate those things. It may look like soaring on the outside. It may look like life is going well on the outside, but on the inside, it will inevitably be rotten to the core. And the reason for that, in part, is because when it's all about you, you leave no room to soar with others. When you make it all about you, you leave no room to soar with others. When we make it all about us, we leave no room to soar with others. We will crowd them out. We will sabotage them. We will hinder them. But here's the thing. You and I weren't just made to soar. We were made to soar together. We were made to soar with others. And when we make it all about us, when we hinder other people from soaring, when we're only focused on us, we will end up sabotaging our own ability to soar. We will end up rotten inside. We will end up rotten inside. A number of years ago, a man named Jim Collins and his research team put out a book called Good to Great. And they had analyzed, they wanted to analyze whether companies could go from average to excellent. From average performance, from long-term average performance to sustained excellence. They looked at over a thousand companies over a long period of time. And they found out of those uh, over a thousand companies, only 11 companies had made the leap from sustained average to sustained excellence. And so they wanted to know, okay, what made the difference for these 11 companies? And so what they did is they picked 11 comparison companies, companies that were in a similar field as the 11 ones that had made the leap, and, but that didn't make the leap, that remained in sort of an average state or actually deteriorated. And they started to compare what is different between the 11 companies that made the leap and the 11 that didn't. And one of the factors that they identified as being crucial in making the leap from average to excellence, from good to great, is something that they started calling a level five leader. And I'm going to quote this. Here's what a level five leader is. A level five leader is an executive who creates an enduring legacy of greatness through a paradoxical blend of humility and professional determination. Such leaders do not let their ego dictate their decisions. Their ambition is above all else for the success of the company, not for themselves. Level five leaders don't make it all about them. It's not all about them. When they interviewed these level five leaders, and by the way, each one of the 11 companies had at least one level five leader. When they interviewed them, these leaders would consistently point outside themselves as the reason for the success of the company. They would say, oh, it was this, it was that, it was this combination of things. They would continually push away praise 
but they would continually take on responsibility for any missteps and mistakes that were made along the way. And when it was time for them to leave, to transition out of their role of taking these companies to sustained excellence, they set up incoming leadership for continued success. And their companies soared. The companies soared while they were there, and they continued to soar long after they were, were gone. And it was the opposite in the comparison companies. Now, some of those CEOs or some of those executives from those comparison companies became well-known. If you were into business literature or were aware of what was going on in the business world in the years that they studied these companies, some of those names would be familiar to you. They were known at some points as celebrity CEOs. They, de they developed a celebrity-like status in the business world. And when they talked about success, it was always about them. They were the ones responsible. And when they talked about failure, it was always someone else's fault. The spotlight had to be on them. And when it was time for them to transition out, whether they chose or were forced out, they didn't set up their successors well. In fact, oftentimes they picked people who were weaker leaders than them to succeed them, just to make sure things didn't go well. Those CEOs appeared to be great leaders on the outside, but on the inside, not so much. Their companies didn't soar. The companies didn't soar. As Jesus wraps up this section talking about the teachers of the law, he says something that makes it clear that making it about ourselves doesn't just hinder others from soaring. It can actually cause real and significant damage. He talks about uh, the teachers of the law devouring widows' houses. Widows were a vulnerable, vulnerable class of people. And they were supposed to be taken care of. In fact, if you read the laws of the ancient Israelites, there are provisions there to care for widows among other groups of people. But in making it about themselves, in some way or another, these teachers of the law had clearly missed the mark. Instead of caring for widows, they had devoured their houses. See, when it's all about you, when it's all about me, when it's all about us, you will inevitably hinder the soaring of others. You will get in their way. You will sabotage them. And what's particularly sad, what's particularly sad is that oftentimes the people most affected by those exercises and sabotage are the people who can least afford it. The people who most need help. It's the people who often need others to bring them up, to help them soar, who need it in a special, in a special way, much like these widows. It's the vulnerable who hurt the most when we make it about ourselves. And so Jesus' word here may look stark, but take it from another angle. It is both a caution and a comfort. It is a caution to those of us who would make it about ourselves, and it is a comfort to those who get left in our wake. Because what it says is that God sees, that it doesn't go unnoticed by God and that God will make things right. God will always balance the scales. So now Jesus has shown us what it looks like to appear to be soaring, but actually be rotten inside. Now, what does it look like to actually soar? What does it look like to actually soar? Well, Jesus points it out. He talks about a widow, a poor widow. He talks about her offering two coins. He talks about her putting in more than anyone else. He talks about her putting in everything. Jesus after talking about these teachers of the law, sits and people watches. And people are coming to bring their offering. And some of them are bringing a lot, right? 
And you can imagine this is a, a court, a temple court, and there is a large area, and you can drop your offerings in these buckets. And you can imagine people coming by with lots to give and pouring in a lot. And it gets noticed. It gets heard. It's clear who can give a lot and who can't. Lots of coins are being dropped. And then a widow comes along. And she's a poor widow, which means that her poverty is obvious. Her poverty is noticeable. You could see on her that she was not a person of means. Maybe no one is there to care for her. Maybe she has no family left. She should be provided for by the temple. And maybe she's being given her basic needs, but not enough. Not enough. Clearly not enough. The contrast between her and the opulence of the temple and the noise of the gifts being given and the opulence of the teachers of the law is obvious. It's noticeable. It's striking. And her offering, maybe two small coins, maybe doesn't make that much noise. No one seems to notice. But Jesus does. Jesus notices. Because her offering in, the, in his ears and in the ears of heaven rings loudest of all. It may not have rung loudly in the ears of those who were there, but in the ears of heaven, the sound was deafening. In the ears of Jesus, the sound was deafening. And he invites his disciples and he invites us to notice her, to see her, to pay attention to her because she is soaring. He invites us to see a woman who is soaring in the midst of injustice because the life she is living is not how it ought to be. The people who should be caring for her aren't caring for her. She is doing what she can, what she must, what she has been told to do, and the people who are supposed to make the difference are not. And yet, in the midst of injustice, she is soaring. She is there. She is giving of herself. He invites us to see a woman who is committed to connecting to God because this offering is not just uh, sort of a perfunctory act. It is an act of worship. And even if these are the only two things she has left to give, she is not going to let anything get in the way of worshiping God. She has been told, this is a way you worship God. This is a way of connecting to God. Could she have been told something different? Should she have been told something different? Should she have been told, hey, it's okay to not give your offering. Make sure you get food. Maybe, probably, but she hasn't been told that. All she knows is that to worship God, she's got to give this. And nothing gets in the way of her worship of God. Nothing stands back. Not her obvious poverty, not her dissonance with the crowds around her. She comes and she worships God. Nothing was going to keep her from that. And Jesus invites us to see someone who is determined to make her way to worship. No matter what stands in the way. No matter what the obstacles. No matter what the cost. He invites us to see a woman who needs to see God come through. As she's giving this offering, we don't know what happens to her. We don't know if she's going to have enough money to buy food, if she's going to get more money. We don't know if someone's going to donate to her. The story is unresolved on that sense. All we know is that if she's giving this money, and this is all she has, she needs God to come through. And she puts herself in that position. 
in the position where she needs to depend on God and she needs to depend on people. She has positioned herself to soar because she has put all her trust in God. All her trust in God and all her trust in community. She is hoping, perhaps, that community will do what it's supposed to. But she's certainly hoping that God will come through. She has given in these two coins all her trust. And that's all she had to give. And that is the key, folks. That's what's happening on the inside. That's what makes the difference between appearing to soar and actually soaring. It's not the external act. And hear me say that. Some of those rich people could have soared and could have been soaring as well because it's not about the size of the gift. It's not about the size of the act. It's not about how big it appears or how small it appears. It's about the degree of trust that is attached to it. It's all about trust. It's all about trust. Trust. Trusting that the air current that is coming up will lift you up no matter, no matter what. Trusting that God will lift you up no matter what. Trusting that God is the one who can make you soar. See, we soar in direct proportion to our degree of trust in God. Let me put that in catchier terms. The more we trust, the higher we soar. The more we trust in God, the higher we'll soar. The more we trust in Jesus, the higher we will soar. It's all about trust, friends. That is what makes the difference. Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, also known as Mother Emmanuel AME Church, was founded in the early 1800s in Charleston, South Carolina. It's part of the first independent black denomination in the United States, and it's one of the oldest black churches in the South. Throughout its history, its members have encountered harassment, obstruction, obstacles to their ability to worship, whether gathered there or outside of their church. They have encountered obstacles to their ability to thrive as a faith community, yet they've persisted. For over 300 years, this church has persisted. In June 2015, they encountered another obstacle. A man named Dylan Roof came into their midweek Bible study. And they welcomed him in. And he sat in their Bible study and listened for a while. And in a moment of prayer, Dylan Roof got up and opened fire. And nine people lost their lives. And many more were injured. His goal in this was to be part of some sort of race war. And his tactic was to bring terror to a place of hope. That was his tactic. He wanted to clip the wings of people who wanted to soar, of people who were looking to soar. And the people mourned, and the people grieved, and the people were angry, and rightly so. And some of them still are, and rightly so. But they weren't going to let that act, a reminder of the injustice they've faced historically, keep them from soaring. They weren't going to let that keep them from connecting and trusting in God. So soon after the shooting, once the crime scene tape was cleared, folks showed up and they cleaned up the space and they plastered over the bullet holes and they made it back to the way it was and they gathered for worship. They came back for services, not only the people who called that church home, but people from the community, people from around the country came came and worshiped in that place to worship as a community, to soar with each other, 
to support one another. They weren't going to let anything get in the way of them connecting to God. The black church's history is full of stories like that, of full of stories of soaring in the midst of injustice, of nothing getting in the way of connecting with God, of putting all their trust in God, the one who has made them to soar. Perhaps that's an invitation from God to take notice of stories like that, to take heart in stories like that, to see soaring in them, to hear the trust that is deafening in heaven. As people say, nothing will get in the way. All my trust will be in him. We will continue to soar. We will give all that we have. Now, I don't doubt that our stories are different than the stories of the folks in uh, Mother Emmanuel Church. Our stories are different from one another. But the one thing we have in common that I can guarantee is that we were made to soar just like they were, just like this woman was in the story. We were made to thrive. We were made to flourish. We were made to make a difference. We were made to live a legacy, leave a legacy. We were made to soar. And it's going to take our trust. That's what God is calling us today. So here's my invitation to you. It's threefold. The first is to don't let anything get in the way of connecting to God. The obstacles to connecting to God are many. Everything from time to commitments to preferences. There's lots of reasons. Lots of things we let get in the way. Here's my encouragement today. Identify what you're letting become an obstacle to your connection with God and remove it. If you need help, we're here for you. You can come talk to me. You can come talk to other folks in the church. But be relentless. Don't let anything get in the way of connecting with God, of worshiping him, whatever that looks like for you. The next invitation is a little more daring. I want you to seek out the places in your life where you need trust, where you need to trust. Some of us play it too safe with faith and with God. We give only as much as allows us to do in our own strength. But soaring is just on the other side of that. Soaring is in the place that requires us to take a leap, to trust, to let go. Some of you already know where that edge is because you've been teetering on it for a long time. Some of you can see it and you're far away. Go up to it. Jump. Trust. And soar, folks. Soar because that's what God made you for. To thrive, to flourish, to make a difference, to leave a legacy. Soar. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me here on stage as I do. Would you join me in prayer? God, I'll admit that I am the first at times to be tempted to pick what is safe, what is comfortable, and what is familiar. Because I like to be able to control my destiny. Lord, I call myself, and before you I commit, to find that place that's asking of my trust today, and to leap. Lord, I pray that for my sisters and brothers. I don't know the stories of soaring that are waiting to be told here, that are on the other side of trust, but I know they're there. Lord, I want to hear them. I want to see them. I want to celebrate them. 
and I want to soar with them. Lord, may we soar together as a community that doesn't let anything get in the way of worshiping you, as a community that doesn't withhold our trust from you, as a community that looks to each other and helps each other soar. Not for our sake, God, though it's the life you made us for, but for the sake of your glory and because in soaring together, Lord, I know you've got something good for Chatham County, for our schools, for our workplaces, for our neighborhoods, and for every place you call us to beyond that. May we be those kind of people who give all that they have to give, whose trust echoes resoundingly in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.